We have to affirm our identity early so that it's unshakable when someone looks at you or says something about you. I know who I am. Welcome to Deeper Dish. Welcome back to Deeper Dish. This episode is special to me. About a month ago, I had the opportunity and the privilege to visit the National Museum of African American History and Culture. And I had an amazing experience. And if you go to the museum on the first three levels, they have a video booth that allows you to memorialize and record your experiences and give your feelings on that level or how you're feeling about anything. They give you an opportunity to answer a few questions. And that gave me an idea about this podcast. And so on this podcast, I bring four different people different age groups from different parts of the city to talk about black history and their black experience. Hope you enjoy it. Always the only, only woman in the room. Still walk in, only woman in the room. And there's a room full of white men, usually older. Um, thrills me. Just thrills me. I just, I just love it. Um, usually the only black person in the room. Also, never really concerned me because I, I don't look at people through color. I didn't get to be where I am by, and who I am by looking at uh, the color of people's skin. I really, literally took Martin Luther King at his word uh, and understand that the content of a person's character and refused to let anybody else do that to me. So I love it, just love it. And... Um, there's a wonderful phrase by Maya Angelou from a poem that she wrote called um, To Our Grandmothers that she says, when I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. So when I walk into a room, and particularly before I have something really challenging to do or I'm going to be in a circumstance where I feel I'm going to be, you know, up against um, some difficulties, I will literally sit and I will call on that 10,000. Mm -hmm. I will call on the, the ancestors. I will call on those people who've come before me. I will call on the women who forged a path that I might be able to sit in the room with all of those white men and love it so much. Uh, I, 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 call on, I call on that because I know that my being where I am, and first of all, being who I am and where I am didn't come just out of myself, that I come from a heritage. And so I own that mm -hmm. and I step into that room, not just as myself, but I bring all of that, 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 that energy with me. When I was growing up, I understood the concept of Black History Month, but I didn't understand the importance of it. And then as I got older and started having, you know, different experiences regarding my race, more personal experiences, I just finally started realizing like oh okay this is what this month is for in a way to this day I feel like the month has kind of lost its value and it's just more so like commercialized and kind of like the politically correct thing to celebrate without much 
oomph behind it, you know, for what it was intended to be, for what they fought for it to be. The significance comes in, like I said, with my own personal experiences and in the moments that have really defined my existence as a black person on this planet and then put that in the context of my ancestors and that's what black history means to me. You have major corporations now that acknowledge Black History Month and the diversity that they have and and that sort of thing. And I think that's the politically correct thing to do is to acknowledge this group of people and just kind of the the norm. But there's not much significance to it. If there was just more like a concentrated effort on discussing race discussing what we've been through and it doesn't even have to be in a month I think I don't like the fact that it's just comes in this nice clean box of black history month and we'll present you with some little known black history facts and we'll say that McDonald's supports the local NAACP and I don't like that I feel like it's packaged it's commodified now it doesn't mean anything now schools talk about it and we talk about the great inventors and the things like that but that's just what's become the norm to me you don't really start understanding black history until you live through it until you see Eric Gardner and and you see Tamir Rice and you see Alton Sterling and you see Trayvon Martin do you start realizing what this whole thing has been about those were some of the first instances that I saw in my becoming a black adult that have shaped my understanding of living in this world as a black person. And it's not this watered down, nice package where we say this is what we do and this is what we celebrate. And we're going to talk about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. No, like there has to be more. There has to be a lived experience. And that to me is what makes Black History Month significant is based on my experience in this country as a black woman. That is what gives this whole thing context and meaning. My work that I do with young black kids, underprivileged black kids, like that is the meaning. That is the value. It's understanding this systemic undertaking that really just permeates our existence. That's our story on this continent, struggle, oppression, inferiority, And I'm all about celebrating, but because this is systemic and structural, it's hard for me to celebrate. I'm ever thankful. All praise and all honor go to my ancestors who have fought from the time that they've got here up until now. Absolutely celebrating their cause and their fight and appreciating them and respecting them and try to live my way of life in a way that reflects what they've done for me. But I just can't ignore something that is so strong and powerful, this machine that works every day to bring us down. I can't ignore it. I can't talk about my existence without talking about that. The first memory of Black History Month is probably the first time that I realized that a group of people could be so mean. And that was when I was in, I want to say maybe like third grade. I was probably eight or nine years old. The Ruby Bridges movie came out. That movie really, really hit me hard. Like, my mom will tell you to this day, like, she saved 
the TV guide that used to come out in the Sunday papers. She saved the TV guide that had the Ruby Bridges movie on there. And I wrote this note to Ruby, like, I'm so sad that you had to go through that. And like, I had drawn like teardrops all around it. It was just, it just really struck me because that was my first time, again, realizing that one group of people could be so mean because my experience with white people was not that. I didn't know anything about race or racism or segregation or anything prior to that movie. And so seeing that movie really opened my eyes. I was at a predominantly white school. And the next day, I'm sure I went on, you know, like a regular third grader would. But that really struck a nerve with me. That's probably my first memory of Black History Month is watching that movie and empathizing with that girl because that little girl looked like me. And she was in a school with people who looked like the people that I went to school with. But she had such a completely different experience. And my heart just went out to her. I was crying. I went to school in the Ashburn area in the 90s, which was predominantly white. So my preschool, kindergarten years, and then grammar elementary years were mainly white people. There were some, a few black people here and there. As time went on, it progressed to mostly black to what you see the Ashburn area is now. You couldn't make black history meaningful to me. I had no concept of race. I understood that there were people who looked different than me, but just right over my head, right? And then high school, I go to Jones, pretty diverse school. We had whites, we had Asians, we had Latinos, we had black people. So again, pretty diverse. I hung with all types of people. People to this day that would be like, oh, Ariana, oh my God, you were so nice. White people, Asian people. I, I did not change. I was who I was. Go to undergrad at IU, Indiana University. And it was a predominantly white institution, yes. Again, just kind of like, all right, I'm here. I am the minority. Because the college campus itself is a pretty liberal campus. But the surrounding area is different the towny white people they're, they're different but it's right around this time that I started realizing like oh maybe this happened because I was black like maybe that guy tried to run me off the road because I was black true story that's when I started kind of like looking at things like huh okay still have white friends blah 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 blah, blah. that's when I really started analyzing race then I come back here and I worked a few jobs here and there. One of the most influential jobs was as a social worker. And I was a social worker for seniors, senior citizens on the south and west sides of the city. That's what kind of got me involved in this whole like urban studies realm was because I was seeing the same things day in and day out, whether it was related to their health whether it was related to economic conditions of these neighborhoods, whether it was related to the kids. Across the board, same set of circumstances, and I'm wondering why. And then here comes that thought again, like, maybe it's because we black. <laughs> you know, maybe because these neighborhoods are mostly black people. So growing up black is ever-evolving for me because there's always a new story or a new journey that I embark on, and I'm like, huh. Why is it like this? Du Bois, W.E.B. Du Bois, termed this theory as a theory of double consciousness. 
And I think that is just like the most accurate term that you can come up with for what we experienced growing up black in America. You see yourself through your eyes, but then you also see yourself through their eyes too. And you're in this friction point within yourself and with your involvement with them as well. Another thing that helped me realize my blackness was when I decided to go natural. And when I was new to the natural hair game, like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just, like, growing it out and trying to figure out what looks good, what doesn't look good. And there was times when I just had fro, like, 1960s fro. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to walk outside like this. (laughs) I'm not dealing with my hair anymore. This is what it is. And the looks I got from people just really messed me up for a while like the looks or the comments or the oh that's interesting the going natural thing really hit home on on my blackness because then it was like oh at first I was a little embarrassed right because for the past however many years my hair was straight I had a perm like you know whatever but this 1960s fro was really getting some eyes you know the embarrassment soon turned into black power fists. Like I'm an advocate now. I'm an activist now because now I see how you see me. This is not something that I can change. I can change my hair, but who I am, my mind, that's not going to change. It's an ever evolving thing. But I would say that I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. I truly love being black. It comes with a lot of things, as we discussed, right? (laughs) But I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. Everybody wants to be black. It's like the cool thing, right? We just so happen to be blessed with it. Like Going back to my work with kids and what I do and what I teach is like, we have to affirm our identity early so that it's unshakable. When someone looks at you or says something about you, I know who I am. The police, the same way, they put their club upside your head and then turn around and accuse you of attacking them. Every case of police brutality against a Negro follows the same pattern. They attack you, bust you all upside your mouth, and then take you to court and charge you with assault. What kind of democracy is that? What kind of uh, freedom is that? What kind of social or political system is it when a black man has no voice in court, has no nothing on his side other than what the white man chooses to give him? My brothers and sisters, we have to put a stop to this. And it will never be stopped until we stop it ourselves. Black History Month is an opportunity for, at least to me, it's a checkpoint for a month to reflect on what we've been up against and celebrate the issues and the problems that we were able to overcome. We need it. It's important because of the way the world sees us. And it's important because 
those that follow us, the children, they need a constant reminder that we all need to work together because we're always behind the eight ball. It's going to take a long time for the world to be right and treat us as individuals and as a people that we have something to say that we are extremely intelligent and extremely strong people, which unfortunately on a daily basis, on a second hour minute basis, we're marginalized no matter how hard we try. I think the beautiful thing about the black experience is no matter what's thrown at us, we always prevail and we prevail better than anybody. We are the strongest, most potent race in the entire world to me because we fight all the issues and problems every single time. I don't think that there is a a race or an ethnicity that's stronger than us because of all the things that we've gone through. It's important to have an institution like Black History Month to keep reminding us how far we've come because at the end of the day, we're still here and we're not going anywhere. That's why I'm very proud to be an African-American male, regardless of the curveballs that are thrown to me and my family and the people I love and my race as a whole, because we're going to hit that ball. That's why, to me, we have to celebrate our achievements in a month like this. I remember in high school, the Jesuits did a really good job in allowing everybody to celebrate Black History Month, the St. Ignatius. You know, we had a day-long assembly about it where we were celebrating not only Martin Luther King, but we were also celebrating Malcolm X, both men who had opposite viewpoints on how the struggle should be handled. I really appreciated that, and that resonated with me for a very long time. That was the first time I really appreciated it, Black History Month, when I was in seventh or even eighth grade, Martin Luther King was our Black History Month. You know what I mean? That's who we knew and who we heard of and heard about. It was good to see that over time, the spirit of blackness was celebrated on several levels. You got to hear about Shirley Chisholm, first African-American woman to run for president. You didn't know about her. It opened a door to all these unsung heroes to the point now where there are authors and astronauts and artists, scientists that we may have never heard about. They're out in the four right now because of that. So many African-Americans or so many black folks that have made such an impact, not only in the United States, but in the world. And it's good that all those people are now being recognized. When my mom and my stepfather got divorced, we moved to the west side of Chicago. And at that time, there were some Latinos, but it was still heavily Italian. They did not like the fact that we moved into their neighborhood. I used to get into a lot of fights with the white kids because, you know, they clearly didn't want me there. And uh, I remember there was one time somebody left some human waste matter in, in the front of our house in protest. But the people that owned the building, it was a Latino family, they stood by us. And I remember the father of that family <laughs> went door to door and said, don't you threaten this family. Nobody ever bothered us again. But 
it showed me how mean and evil people can be. When I look back on those days, it just made me stronger. I feel that, yes, we spent a lot of time trying to prove ourselves. My parents were immigrants. You know, that whole work hard, pick yourself from your bootstraps and work hard and you'll be accepted. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. What matters is you. Because no matter how hard you try to be somebody else, or it'll, it'll never matter because you know what? People are still not going to accept you. So I tell my nieces and nephews, at this point in your life, hey, this is a new day. This is your day. Be who you are. Don't assimilate. Other people of color can assimilate and they get accepted quicker than we can because I can wear a suit, walk down any of the streets here in Chicago and still encounter people locking their doors. But I'm dressed like you and I'm smarter than you. I have degrees, but at the end of the day, it still doesn't matter. We have a president, probably one of the most popular presidents that this country has ever seen, Barack Obama, passed every one of those tests. He assimilated, went to an Ivy League school, and at the end of the day, it didn't matter. They called him an elitist. He did what he was supposed to do to be accepted. And the folks here in this country, the other America, didn't accept that. They didn't like it. Michelle Obama, she said, when they go low, we go high. I say to the youth today that happen to be African-American, do what's right for you. Don't be somebody that you're not. Period. End of story. Because at the end of the day, there's going to be some people that will not accept you. But I, I think of love as something strong and that organizes itself into powerful uh, direct action. Now, this is what I try to teach in the struggle in the South, that uh, we are not engaged uh, in a struggle that means we sit down and do nothing. Uh, that There's a great deal of difference between non-resistance to evil and non-violent resistance. Uh, non-resistance leaves you, in, uh, leaves you in a state of stagnant passivity and deadened complacency, wherein non-violent resistance means that you do resist in a very strong and determined manner. When I think of Black History or Black History Month, it's like a time where you pretty much get to learn about the different things that that our culture, African Americans, what they've been through, the different struggles that they've had to encounter, and how they overcame, how they kind of set the path for us today to learn and to grow. Black History Month, I think that it's good that we have it because it kind of draws focus on us as African Americans to reflect back to the things that we have gone through. But I don't think that it should just be just for that month. We should just embrace learning about our culture all year round. Well, being African American, I grew up in the inner city, growing up in my neighborhood. I just feel as if I had a normal childhood. And when I say normal, I mean, you know, I had my mom, you know, my family, my siblings. Um, my dad was present in my life as well. It was just a norm. I was just a kid that grew up on the west side of Chicago. It didn't seem as if I was any more special than anyone else in the neighborhood. Yeah, we had a home. We ate food. <laughs> you know, we ate as a family. I saw struggles. You know, we all had to pitch in at some point to make the household work. That just seemed like the norm for me. My mom, she kind of had a tight rein 
on us or a tight hold. You know, we didn't like to go a whole lot of places. Our friends were our siblings or our nieces and nephews. For me, I didn't get to experience a whole lot of uh, bad things. It was just normal childhood, growing up, going outside, playing. I didn't have to deal with a lot of the uh, issues that kids deal with today. I mean, bullying, of course, it was present and things of that nature, but I didn't really have to deal with it. The peer pressures of drugs, it was present, but I didn't experience it. I would say that my childhood was pretty normal, in my opinion. You know, you know that you are black, but it was nothing that I would have to say that I experienced in my youth that made me say, oh yes, I am black. I notice it more so now as an adult as opposed to when I was a kid. I don't know if it was because I was just oblivious to it or didn't really pay attention to it. But you know, now to go into a store or to walk down the street, you might feel a little bit uncomfortable if you're walking past certain people because of the things that have been happening on a grander scale nowadays that I notice it as an adult. It's more evident to me. You know, you go into a store and you got to worry about, oh, I don't want them to think that I'm trying to steal anything, you know, or you walking down the street, oh, I don't want them to think that I'm going to try to rob them or anything like that. You know, those are things that I pay attention to now. But growing up, I didn't really have that experience or felt that. Maybe it did happen, but I didn't really pay any attention to it if it did. My first memory of acknowledging Black History Month was um, maybe the sixth grade, going to grammar school. It was a big deal for us being at a public school in the inner city, you know, where black history was important because it was important for us to learn about our ancestors, the things that our people have had to go through, the struggles. We would do assemblies at school. I don't recall a particular assembly, but during that time period, we would just focus on learning about our culture. Yeah, it was a big deal. I think that it's very important for people to know about cultures, about black history. It shouldn't just be for black people. I think that it should be for all people. Anybody that's interested in learning about the culture should be able to learn about the history of black people. When you learn different things, when you learn better, you try to do better. We, as black people, there have been inventors and creators and not only black people, we add to society you know, as well. So I think that it's important for all people to learn about black history. I have the pleasure to present to this great audience young John Lewis, National Chairman, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Brother John Lewis. march today for jobs and freedom. But we have nothing to be proud of. The hundreds and thousands of our brothers are not here. But they're receiving starvation wages or no wages at all. While we stand here, there are sharecroppers in the Delta of Mississippi who are in the field working for less than $3 a day, 12 hours a day. While we stand here, there are students in jail on trumped-up charges. Our brother James Farmer, along with many others, is also in jail. We come here today with a great sense of misgiving. 
It is true that we support the administration's civil rights bill. We support it with great reservation, however. Unless, unless Tile 3 is put in this bill, there's nothing to protect the young children and old women who must face police dogs and fire hoses in the South while they engage in peaceful demonstration. The meaning of Black History Month to me is one of celebration, but it's also a struggle and oppression and a way for us to recognize and acknowledge the existence of both of those things. I understand the history of what became Black History Month started as Negro Awareness Month or Negro History Month, founded by Carter G. Woodson, was also a member of Omega Sci Fi Fraternity Incorporated. He wanted a week to recognize the accomplishments of black folks in America at that time. That later became Black History Month through multiple iterations. A lot of times in history, the majority tends to dictate what history is or isn't. I think Carter G. Woodson wanted to recognize the accomplishments and wanted black folks to recognize their accomplishments within America as well. African-Americans have played instrumental roles in the development of our country, whether it be through service, through music, through sports, through politics. We've been there from the beginning. And a lot of times those accomplishments can get overlooked because we tend to have our history at times dictated back to us or told what should be important. We're at times told our stories through the lens of other people as if our own agency is not important. When we learn about Civil War, we typically learn about Abraham Lincoln and things like that. That's just an example. We don't learn about other significant contributions that African-Americans or black folks have made throughout history. For example, we don't learn about the details of slavery, you know, not just Harriet Tubman, but the money that was transferred hands in European kingdoms and countries that were built on the backs of the transatlantic slave trade, things that don't portray other folks in the great life. But that, that's a part of our history. And there's this element that we need to celebrate the successes and contributions that we made to our country. But we have to remind people the oppressive nature of trying to push down or tamp down some of those accomplishments and also the oppressive nature of things that have been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years since many of us have been on this continent. So for me, African-American history is a combination of those things. The first time I can remember celebrating Black History Month I was in grade school when I was young. I remember kindergarten having images of Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks up in our classroom. One of my more vivid memories, it was like a WGN special on the Emmett Till story, this Black History Month special. I was watching it late at night, should not have been watching it. Kind of went through uh, the storyline of the young man going down to visit his family in the South. If I'm not mistaken, it was Mississippi. I had a situation with a young white person was accused of doing certain things and Emmett Till was beaten badly 
to the point of being unrecognized by anybody and his mother I made the decision to have an open casket so that the world could see what racism and prejudice really look like. That kind of sparked outrage in the country as far as being a backlash towards racism. So that was one of my first memories of Black History Month. And I also remember in third or fourth grade doing an essay on Martin Luther King and Martin Luther King's accomplishments and other classmates doing essays and writing papers on other civil rights leaders. The most prominent figures that were discussed in our class were Martin Luther King, Coretta Scott King, George Washington Carver, Ruby Bridge. We usually talked about Malcolm X kind of in the counter to Martin Luther King at that time. Martin Luther King was portrayed as doing things the right way, and Malcolm X was kind of portrayed as kind of a modern-day terrorist when I was growing up, which you know we later found out just was absolutely not true. So those are kind of my first memories of Black History Month. It wasn't talked about a great deal in my household, and it wasn't really talked about a great deal in my community being African-American and being black, you always feel it. But I think for me, at a very early age, like many people probably, it was more, just more naive. You didn't see it. I mean, you felt it, you lived it. You couldn't avoid knowing that you were African-American, but it was in a background with a lot of African-Americans around you. You were black and you felt black, and, and it was never really in reference to anything. You stepped outside of your world, you definitely felt it, whether it be in the classroom or you happen to venture outside of your community, you definitely felt it directly and indirectly and implicitly and explicitly. You know, there were definitely conversations had about, hey, we're going to this place. You need to make sure you act accordingly or act a certain way because uh, you didn't want to put yourself or your family in the situation that could endanger your family or get yourself in trouble. As I grew up and I started to be in more environments where I was the minority in the group, whether it be in the classroom, playing sports, internships, you definitely felt more black. You started to be able to see how people saw you. I've pretty much been a six foot one, 200 some pound African-American that comes with baggage at times as I grew older and progressed in my career, started to get labels attached to me that I'm very passionate or you're emotional about things. And, you know, at first you think maybe I am emotional, but over time you start to realize that that's kind of coding for certain things. You start to realize that there's a duality. Um, love who I am. I am an African-American, but I'm an African-American that lives in a predominantly non-African-American world. I've been disinvited to weddings because I was black. I've suffered through that humiliation. I've suffered through not being allowed to visit or review homes that I have appointments for as far as wanting to buy a home or purchase a home. I've experienced being followed in retail stores. I've been the individual that has been eight, nine, ten years experience and someone asked me if I'm the intern. No, 
I'm running this meeting. <laughs> I've dealt with things like that. I have to not only deal with the humiliation of being excluded based on my skin color, I have to also deal with explaining how that's not right. But on the flip side of that, being African-American is an amazing and wonderful experience. I belong to a group of people that in this country for more than 400 years have been treated unfairly, have been oppressed, at one point have been enslaved politically and socially, systemically oppressed, who have had the criminal justice system turned against them. But yet I'm still here, yet I'm still thriving. I still have an amazing mother that led me down a wonderful path. I have the ability to learn my history, to connect with people and share my form of blackness and my African-American heritage in a way that's comfortable for me. I've also had the pleasure of learning over time and through experiences that black in America is one, not a monolith and Black history is American history. I'm proud and very fortunate to be an individual that can say, because I'm pro-Black does not mean that I'm anti-anything else. It's just a way for me to celebrate my existence. And it's a way to acknowledge why my journey is important not only to me, but why my journey should be important to them. Because I live in the world where I have to acknowledge others' journeys, and I just want those people to acknowledge mine as well. Being black in America is, is not easy. Definitely forces you to carry a lot of burdens, but the way I look at it is that I've carried a great weight, although things can be bad at times, and we take three steps forward and two steps back. Things are getting better, and I have an ability to affect change in my community with my people. And I'm very, very proud of that opportunity. I don't take that responsibility for granted anymore. Being African-American and being black in the United States definitely means having a responsibility to give back to your country, to your people, and to help move our causes and our culture forward so it can maintain and remain relevant and powerful in the discussion of American history. Deeper Dish is hosted by Farah. Audio design, editing, mixing is done by the team at Anamnesis Audio. Produced by me, Farah. Our outro was performed by From Beyond These Walls, and the song is City of Dystopia. If you want to contact us directly, feel free to contact us at deeperdishshy at gmail.com or on Twitter. Our handle is at deeperdishshy. Our website is www.deeperdishshy.com.